I noticed that uh, Brooklyn Bowl Nashville was not participating in Live Nation's On the Road Again initiative. I'm curious why Brooklyn Bowl uh, was not participating in this initiative. Do you take merch cuts? We do. We do. 15% on soft. As for venues, we don't make a lot of the ticket revenue. A lot of that goes to the artist. And so merch is another is another way where we can get some revenue in. Do you think it's ethical to keep 15% of the artist merch and not give a percentage of your F&B to the artist that is filling your venue with their fans? This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book third edition is out now everywhere in all formats audiobook ebook hardcover however you consume books you can find it out today my guest is sarah barnett she is the general manager of brooklyn bowl nashville brooklyn bowl has now four locations uh williamsburg brooklyn is their original location we have Las Vegas, we have Philly, and we actually had Paul Bacher from the Philly location on the show previously, and now Nashville. It's been open for about two and a half years now in Nashville, and since opening, they've hosted acts like Elvis Costello and Billy Gibbons, Phil Lesh, Leon Bridges, Lainey Wilson, Baby Keen, so many more. And in 2022 at the Pulsar Awards, they were named the best new concert venue. They're a 1,200 cap room, and... Uh, we through this conversation, we talk about how they balance uh, supporting the local national music community, uh, the difference between local shows versus touring shows, uh, the difference between what the Broadway scene is, if you've ever been to Nashville and you go down the strip on Broadway, and what uh, kind of these other music venues are like. And how Nashville is not just a town for country and how there's a lot of local artists and local music that's not country and what that all means we also get into merch cuts uh and kind of how the fee structure works at a venue like well at specifically brooklyn bowl national now brooklyn bowl is part owned by live nation they're not completely owned they still uh live nation owns a minority stake in brooklyn bowl uh they did not participate in the on the road again initiative which uh i bring up and discuss with sarah um we get into that. That's where Live Nation did away with merch cuts. Um, so we, we talk about merch cuts. Um, Brooklyn Bowl, Nashville is, does take a merch cut. Uh, they are a small to mid-level venue. And she discusses the practice and why they're taking a merch cut. And uh, and just kind of how all the other fees break down there and what fees are and the deal structures and, and all of that. Um, so it's a fascinating conversation if you're into the live music space. 
You can find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take on Instagram, TikTok, X, and Threads. You can find me at Ari Herstan on Instagram. Visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on the email list. That's where you're going to find the most up-to-date, relevant information. We ping you every time we got an episode and other important stuff in the new music business. But right now, if you could just pause the episode, uh, hit that subscribe, hit that follow button, however you're listening to this. Leave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. And if you want us to keep doing this in and stick in your feed. All right, let's kick into the show. Sarah Barnett, welcome to the show. Hi, Ari. Thanks for having me. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, I'm assuming you're in Nashville, is that right? Yes, I am sitting in my office at Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville, Tennessee. And you're you're from there, right? You're born and raised? Yeah, well, I'm from small town, Tennessee, a, a place called okay. Tullahoma. It's south of here, about an hour. But uh, I've lived in Nashville almost cool. 20 years, so I like to count it. Nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, so tell me about your current role at Brooklyn Bowl and also just like give us a little history on Brooklyn Bowl because uh, it's I think it's the newest of the Brooklyn Bowl locations. Uh, we had Paul Bacher out of the Brooklyn Bowl Philly location who started at the Brooklyn one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, you know, curious what's going on with the one in Nashville and what your involvement is. Sure. Um, I'm the general manager, so really anything that falls under our roof is uh, my responsibility. Um, as far as like the restaurant, we have bowling, we have shows. You know, that's what we do is um, mm-hmm. is shows, and so really all of it is is me. Um, I mean, I have an amazing team, of course, but um, that's that's what I do. I just generally manage them and make sure that everything happens the way it's supposed to. Not, uh, Brooklyn Bowl is the, Nashville is the third location. So Williamsburg, yeah. they opened in 2009. Then they opened a location in Vegas in 2014. Nashville was scheduled to open March, 2020. Um, mm. March 14th to be exact was our grand opening party. We invited like 4,000 people. <laughs> our capacity is only 1,200. Oh, no. There was still a little bit of construction going on. We still weren't sure that our POS systems were going to work. So it was very much <laughs> nerve wracking to, to be able to pull that off. And like the Thursday before that grand opening party, we all, got in a room and said, hey, do we want to open tomorrow or should we delay this? And so we delayed it. And that was definitely the best call at that time. Um, Then we officially reopened, fully opened in July 2021. So that was our opening. Okay. Then there's one more. Philly, they opened in the fall of 2021 as well. Okay, yeah. so they came after you. Gotcha. Yep. Cool, cool. Um, nice. And uh, you, but you've been in uh, kind of live entertainment and, and management of, of uh, these locations for a little while. I guess you were at Acme Feed and Seed before this? Yes, it's a honky tonk downtown in Nashville. Um, I, my, yeah. his, my experience is in hospitality and food and beverage, and I'm mm-hmm. naturally was just good at it at, you know, when I started doing it mm-hmm. when I was 20 years old or maybe even younger. And then I kind of just eventually was lucky enough to work my way up into 
working in a honky tonk where we had live shows and it was multiple levels and, and some kind of chaotic and, and just to be able to, to see all of that chaos happening at once was, and being able to manage that was, it's an, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So for those, for the people that aren't familiar with, uh, uh, Nashville's downtown or what bro- the Broadway strip is and, and even what a honky tonk means. Can you just uh, can you give just a, a very brief uh, glimpse into what Broadway Nashville is? Uh, it's <laughs> it's a mess. Uh, it, <laughs> there used to be small little divey bars on Broadway, not okay. our strip, where you could walk in and see a live show at any time of the day. Mm-hmm. And that's still the case, but they're not small and divey anymore. They're huge and multi-levels and owned by huge, huge country stars, most of them now. Um, so mm. it's ah. kind of changed a little bit, but uh, there's still mm-hmm. a few places where you can go in and get a bologna, fried bologna sandwich and, and see a, a, an old like country band, you know, playing the... Mm-hmm. Uh, lap steel and fiddles and and stuff like that so yeah i would say that's a honky tonk okay but broadway in general now uh right i mean i when i was there last time i mean i've been to nashville a bunch it's kind of like for a few blocks it's the strip where every bar is a venue with music from correct me if i'm wrong it seems to me like noon to 2 a.m or something like that and during the daytimes you might have some songwriter rounds uh they're like multi-stories i i know there's a few venues that ha- might have multiple shows happening simultaneously on different levels uh rooftops uh and it's yeah like you said it's pretty crazy i mean it's a shit show it's it's uh, <laughs> on the weekends at night i mean it's wild it's packed it's tourists it's it's uh uh bachelorette parties and and just you know wild and crazy but it's it's by and large country music it's just it's straight up it seems like you know for the musicians that i've spoken to that play broadway it's kind of like um you know, it's the same 70 songs in rotation uh, at pretty much every single establishment. Yes. They're all country cover songs. They're all country songs uh, with the exceptions of maybe a few of the honky tonks, which are the more traditional throwback old school country, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hank Williams uh, and the like. But uh, most of them are the current hits of today's country. And if you're a musician and you can learn those 70 songs, you could play <laughs> two to three to four shows a day, a night, and make a few hundred bucks. And that's kind of a gigging musician's life uh, on Broadway in Nashville. And then sometimes they'll get, you know, a tour. They they get known and they, you know, they're all monster players. And maybe they'll go out with a, a country star or something like that. And, and they work their way up. Um how is my description? That is, that, is that pretty that close? That's perfect. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. That's my personal experience there. <laughs> um, and, and just from speaking to the musicians of, of Nashville. Um, so was Acme uh, like one of those kind of establishments? Or is it a, a throwback honky tonk with like old school music? Uh, it's a little, it was a little different. When we opened in 2014, there wasn't really okay. anything like it at the time. We were the okay. fir- one of the first rooftop bars. Uh, and mm-hmm. the talent buyer then at Acme is actually our production manager at Brooklyn Bowl Nashville now. Um, so it is cool. a little bit of a small world, but we would book everything from a Grateful Dead cover band on Monday nights mm. to oh. maybe some like 
soul music on Wednesdays, and then we would do like funk night on Thursdays. So it was definitely cool trying to be a little bit different. They also have a radio station there too. So and they do a lot of indie oh, okay. music right. um, out of that and a lot of local stuff. So it's it's a cool place. I'm I'm still proud to say yeah. that I work there for sure. Cool. Um, so tell me about you know. So there are music venues in in Nashville that are not on Broadway that are not just for country cover bands and Brooklyn Bowl is one of them. I, I think you mentioned before it's a twelve hundred cap yes, room. Yes, twelve hundred. Um, and this is primarily touring acts. I mean, I saw on your calendar coming up. Uh, you know, you have like Tour de Cinema Club, Joyway, Big Frida, Magic City Hippies, Indigo de Souza, Saint Motel. You know, these are kind of the indie bands of you know that are that are hot right now. And when they come through Nashville, this is uh, one of the spots, uh, one of the venues of Nashville that you play. So, can you just break down a little bit? Um, you know the. Just how artists and agents, I guess, approach the venues of Nashville and, and I guess, working at Brooklyn Bowl specifically, um, you know, of this level of a room, like a 1200 cap room. What's the landscape like of Nashville and when artists are kind of planning their tour stops? What does it look like? Well, we do have some competitors that are similar in size. We have Marathon Music Works. It's a, it's a little bit bigger. I think they're 2000 cap. Uh, there was Cannery mm-hmm. Ballroom that closed earlier this year, but I hear they're planning to reopen and they are definitely um, about the same size as us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that when um, they're going, they're touring and they're looking for a place to play, I think it's just <laughs> hopefully, um, you know, they will come back to Brooklyn Bowl, you know, once they played here before. Um, we try to take care of our guests and and uh, artists alike um, and just mm-hmm. be really hospitable and have the best light and sounds and and try to be super professional so that they will come back here. I We are lucky enough also at Brooklyn Bowl to uh, be a joint venture with Live Nation. So the bookers mm-hmm. that are booking for Live Nation in the Southeast, they also book our room and they also book a lot of the rooms in Nashville at the other venues that are, you know, small. Okay. So I think that's helpful too. Can you explain what a joint venture means with Live Nation? Sure. It means that we get to be, um, we get to still stay Brooklyn Bowl with um, the benefit of having a huge corporation, you know, backing us up. Uh, Peter Shapiro and Charlie Ryan are still the co-owners of Brooklyn Bowl. They're and they're in charge, and their vision is is what I'm doing my best to make sure happens. But uh, we do have Live Nation there for support. Okay, that's interesting to me. I, yeah, I'm not super. Um, I don't. I don't. Uh, I guess understand uh, completely the structure mm-hmm. because I know that Live Nation owns some rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, they promote in some rooms mm-hmm. that they might not own. But I've I've never heard, frankly, what a, the, a, this joint venture thing. I don't know how deep you can go with me on it, but I, I I don't quite understand. It's just I mean they're they have some ownership in the company. I think that's the easiest way okay. to describe that. So when you said that. Peter and Ryan, they're the they're the owners. It's there's there's multiple owners. Uh, so they're the ones that kind of 
own, I guess, the biggest share yes. and they sold off a piece of the, the venue to Live Nation. And then with that, when you say we're lucky enough to have the support, uh, what does that mean? So you have some of their talent buyers. What else does it marketing. mean? Marketing. Um, they help us with the marketing. marketing. Okay. And that's, and really benefits of like um, protocol, like systems and, and POS and, mm. and reporting and and things like that that you know smaller companies um maybe not wouldn't have so they yeah. have the systems in so place. yeah um i noticed that uh brooklyn bowl nashville was not participating in live nations on the road again initiative where uh the venues there was about for people that aren't familiar with it um earlier this or a few months ago live nation uh, rolled out their on the road initiative where uh, they were going to guarantee every artist every night on the bill uh, $1,500 um, in in cash and gas credits. Typically, I've, I've heard it's about 50 50, mm-hmm. like $750 in cash and $750 in gas. And that's even to the openers. And, and it was, um, you know, and, and they were most most famously doing away with merch cuts um which uh you know was was wildly applauded in the live music community because merch cuts frankly uh in my opinion and pretty much everyone's opinion is are unethical um and i think uh i'm curious why brooklyn bowl it was not participating in this initiative that was not a program that that does brooklyn bowl we were a part of you know that was solely live nation so Oh, because okay, so that's where I was, that's where I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. Because I guess I thought you were a Live Nation, so you're not a Live Nation venue. They just are, so you weren't eligible or whatever. Uh, okay, because I yeah, I this is the inner workings. It's <laughs> just like okay, you know, I know the Echo in LA is a Live Nation venue, but I don't know what that means. Right. Do they own a hundred percent? Do they own thirty percent? You know, and there's like all these venues that are participating um, in that program. Uh, which I, maybe they're the one. Do you are, do you have any more insight in it? Do you know if they're the ones that that Live Nation owns a hundred percent of, I'm or were there sure. any other joint ventures that were part of that? I'm not sure about okay. those, and and I think maybe the ones they are fully fully owner owners of, you know, the Echo, for example. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that was it, but no. As as far as our as far <laughs> as far as the joint venture. That's just not something that we participated sure. in or were eligible for. I gotcha. Now that I already gave you my uh, opinion on it, <laughs> it's, it's a little tainted. But uh, do you take merch cuts? We do. We do. 15% And on tell me the reasoning. Zero. 15%? Yeah. Zero hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell me the reasoning behind that. Well, it's just another way to make revenue. Um, unfortunately, as for venues... We don't make a lot of the ticket revenue. A lot of that goes to the artists. Uh, we get, we are fortunate here to have a restaurant where we can sell um, food, but also we make bar sales and, you know, that is fully ours. But we do not make a whole lot of profit when it comes to ticket sales. And so merch is another, is another way where we can get some revenue in. Do you think it's ethical to keep 15% of the artist merch and not give a percentage of your F&B to the artist that is filling your venue with their fans? Well, we give them, well, the deal is made with the artist. I mean, the deal is made with the agent and the booker ahead of time. And hopefully they can mm-hmm. make a fair deal for them so that they're getting 
you know, their fair share of the ticket revenue. So. Right. But you also keep fees. The, the fees are not passed on to the artist. The fees go to the venue and live and the promoter. And I mean, you know, yeah. they go to the venue and the ticketing company, but the fees do not go to the artist. Um, the fees are going to the venue and the ticketing platform. Um, and so it is it's not. It's not super transparent when, you know, you say the majority of the revenue, the ticketing revenue goes to the artist because that's when you look at it and and there's a deal memo or a settlement form that says, oh, the artist got 80 percent of tickets. That's not actually accurate when you really break down what the fan paid, because if, you know, the fees, uh, it's it's no. Uh, secret that the, there's there's a tremendous amount of fees tacked on to every ticket um, that the fan actually pays. So if there's a $20 ticket list, the fan might actually be paying $35 or $40 or something like that, you know. And the artist is not getting 80% of the $40. They're getting 80% of the face value. And, you know, I wrote about this in one of my variety pieces. Um, it's impossible for the fan to pay the face value ticket, which is, I, I think, somewhat kind of weird to me because I, I, you know, it's like I went to the Wiltern here in L.A. Uh, to the box office. I walked up and it was, you know, the show was twenty five dollars. And I'm like, OK, I would like to buy one ticket. They're like, oh, it'll be, you know, forty two dollars. I'm like, what do you mean? I have them right here. They're like, oh, it's fees. I'm like, well, how do I not pay the fees? Like, you can't. You have to pay the fees. I'm like, but so I don't you know. So like that's. Like, I'd love to hear your perspective and, and to comment on that because it's, yeah, they're not getting all that money. Even when you're buying from the box office, they had fees? We don't. I was literally physically standing at the box office. It's a Live Nation venue. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I would like to pay the face value ticket. They're like, you can't. You have to pay all the fees. But I'm like, I'm right here at the yeah. physical box office. And and I had to pay the fees. The only fee we have at our box office is $3. And that's it. But it is just the just the. If the ticket's twenty five dollars, you pay twenty eight dollars at our box office. So maybe that's a if little. If you buy it in person, yes, yes. Uh, okay. Through Ticketmaster, it so, is going to be. You will have to pay the fees for sure. Okay, so they still do. You still do have fees. Yes. It's just three dollars. But I guess my question would be: Do you share those three dollars with the artist, or do you do you keep that? We do keep that. That is for the venue. Yes. And then when you do the settlement forms. Um, is that three, the $3 are not counted in that settlement form. They are not. Right. Okay. Okay. So I guess, you know, it's, it's, and this is just kind of the conversation that a lot of the artists and the agents and the venues and the promoters and the are having, I'm sure you've been Mm -hmm. following it very closely. It's, I know it's hard to run a a venue, but you're not an independent venue. You're a joint venture with Live Nation, Um, you know, and, and there's been a lot of commentary from NEVA, uh, the National Independent Venue Association. That I uh, said, it's really hard to run an independent venue, and they were not fans of what Live Nation was doing on the road initiative because they like this. This is not a level playing field anymore. We can't afford to compete with venues that are going to be paying every artist on the bill fifteen hundred dollars on top of what they were making on the settlement, um, which I can empathize with. But I'm on the artist side; like I, they're going to have to fight that own fight themselves, you know. And so, like, I, I'm curious why. Um, you know, it's like it's as an artist, it's really, really hard to tour. And it's and, you know, when Clyde Lawrence uh, testified in front of Congress and it and broke down all of the fees, like none of the expenses are really touring. Our expenses are being covered by the majority of venues out there. That was one of the reasons that Live Nation did this initiative was to help cover some of the touring artists expenses. The venues seem to be able to write off all of their expenses 
take the take the fees keep the bar, keep the food, keep all of that and take some of the artist merch, you know? And so it's like when it comes to that, a lot of artists are like, I can't afford to tour anymore and it's just not profitable. And I'm curious where you come at on that. I, I thought it's a really, really difficult question to answer. I, I don't think that there is any, I mean, when it comes to the venues or the artists, it's, it, it can't be a, you know, it's us versus them kind of mentality. And I really, really, mm-hmm. really hope that we, um, Brooklyn Bowl as a company, taking Live Nation out of that, that we have good relationships with, with the artists that we do. And I know that Pete Shapiro, our, promo, you know, our owner, who... Mm-hmm. is a promoter and that's how he came up and has amazing relationships with, with artists that um, he really, really wants to take care of people. And that's what it is. Like we try to, to hold on to that, even if we are a joint venture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it is a tough spot for all of us, I think. And to maybe um, try to find some middle ground there where we all can, sort of help each other out and benefit and stay afloat is really all we can try Mm -hmm. to do, I think, or all I can try to do. Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that, for me at this point, is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you guys have conversations internally uh, over this past year about merch cuts? Have you had those conversations internally? It was decided we would just keep doing it the way that we are doing it. You know, um, and yeah. we will waive okay. it if it's a smaller act and and you know and there's very little merch we're not going to take everything we collect taxes just because legally we have to do that but um no i mean we'll we'll work with them if we have to for sure do you have merch sellers there what's the how does that how does that work they provide their own sellers or we'll provide them for them but uh it's kind of like no not for a fee I mean, it's, it's theirs. Like 
they run their merch. We don't take inventory for them. We don't count the inventory when they leave. It's just like we trust them to run it and then be honest with us with what they sold. Right. If the if the artist requests a merch seller, you said you have some yeah. on hand that can sell for them. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay. Um, I see that you have. Uh, I mean. Something unique to Brooklyn Bowl, uh, I guess, is you have bowling, and that is something that is uh, consistent, I guess, all through all the Brooklyn Bowls, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, is it open during the daytime uh, when you don't have shows, pre-shows, or is it just kind of an add-on to the shows at night? It's an add-on to the shows, so you can see the stage where okay. where you are bowling. We have, <laughs> <laughs> I know, we have two levels um, here in Nashville, so we have ten lanes on the first floor, nine lanes on the second floor. And they really, the designers, the architects really planned it so that you can have a a perfect line of sight no matter where you're standing, but especially in the bowling lane. So we treat it like a VIP upgrade. We try to, um, we try to open sometimes for bowling, but it just really hasn't taken off. I mean, there's other bowling alleys in Nashville, so it's not really a thing. You know, we'll do family ball on Saturday mornings and let people come and bring their kids and then sound check starts okay. happening at like two or 3 PM and they're blasting the music and, and, but families are in, but yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, how do the artists respond to uh, <laughs> bowling happening during their show? It depends. <laughs> it depends. The pins are on string. So it's a little quieter than a normal bowling alley. So it's not that loud. Oh, racket. Nice. And, you know, we've done our best to, to soundproof though that that sound you know because it is about the music oh okay yeah um there (laughs) are some though that don't like it and we've definitely had a few that will make comments from stage especially like quieter acts you know singer songwriter stuff um and then some just really love it or they played in williamsburg Mm. and they're they're they just love the whole experience and and they're used to it so it depends yeah, I guess if you're a quiet singer songwriter, uh, it's probably not the best idea no. to get booked at the Brooklyn Bo- at no. any of the Brooklyn Bowls. That's but not the vibe. Probably. We will po- <laughs> we will stop bowling and we'll ask our you know the guests say hey guys like the artist has asked us not to bowl do you mind and and we're happy to do that if they ask us to pause it. So no problem cool. there. Cool. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> what uh, and you have a restaurant too, and that is. Uh, is it is it open for everyone or just kind of the people that are part of that are bowling? Yes, it's well, it depends on the show. So if we have a sold out show and okay, well, it's ticket holders only. However, if we've only sold 500 tickets, the, the restaurant is separate enough that we can just open it up to the public and you can come in without a ticket just to eat in the restaurant. So it really just depends. And we cool. try to adapt and change. Every day is different. Mm. I'm curious, what percentage of the business, uh, the Brooklyn Bowl businesses, is uh, restaurant versus bowling versus ticket sales? Uh, ticket sales, ninety percent. <laughs> okay. If that, <laughs> yeah, it's most gotcha. of it. We're, oh, okay. we're a music okay. venue first and foremost. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. And when working with, uh, I mean, so as your role as general manager, you're not doing much of the talent buying, right? No, no, we have buyers specifically okay. for that. Okay, and that's 
Gotcha. And are they in-house or are they through Live Nation, you're saying? Both. So, oh, yeah, both. We do have gotcha. a talent buyer here in-house. We have um, one of ours, when we first opened or we first started to open in 2019 and getting ready for that, we did have our, our talent buyer in-house and he has since been promoted and he's more of a consultant for us now and he's on the Live Nation side, but he's like booking for like five other venues now too. So, I'm, we're happy for him, but we still have an in-house buyer for the smaller shows. Gotcha. And what do you mean by smaller shows? I would say local, sh- like local shows, local DJs. We're still trying to to do that whenever we can, and and, mm-hmm. and really just like be a part of the community. We don't want to be that um, huge venue that forgot about local artists and me, especially since I'm from Mm. Nashville and grew up listening to music and going to small shows at at tiny little divey bars. Um, it's just really important that we keep that. And, um, so yeah, that's what we're doing when, whenever we can. Cool. Um, no, that's great. And that's, that's really nice to hear. Um, how does that work for local artists? I mean, at 1200 is a big room, especially for Nashville, uh, when it's such an industry town. I mean, uh, how do local artists, I mean, are there many local artists that can play Broken Bull and, and fill it? No, but that's okay. We yeah. can do showcases. Okay. Um, and we even have touring acts that can't fill the room sometimes. So, you sure. know, it's, it's just give and take here. Gotcha. Um, talk to me about showcases because that's a that's a term that is kind of, I would say, foreign to the uh, m- to most music markets outside of Nashville, LA to an extent, and maybe a little in New York. Uh, what do, what is what do showcases mean? So in one night we could have five different bands, and and one could be hip hop, mm-hmm. and the next could be funk and the next could be indie rock and and it's really just getting together whatever we can to you know whoever is going to bring out the crowd and can bring people out and um in one night maybe there's a theme too we'll do that um but yeah it's just bringing different bands together and and hope hoping that our production crew can um turn over the stage and, you know, just a few minutes between bands. How is that different from just like a four or five artist lineup, uh, like a regular show? Um, that's a good question. And <laughs> I, I just, besides being local artist and, and a, a smaller, you know, non-touring show, I think, I think that's the, the difference. Just going to be smaller. Are they ticketed? Yeah, but, you know, we try to be reasonable, you know, 10 or $15, depending on who it is and what it's mm. for. Or- gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, in my... What's that? Nothing. I didn't say anything. Oh, in, in my experience with showcases, I've seen... Um, they've been kind of, like, billed as industry showcases and that they're either not ticketed or uh, the guest list is essentially kind of endless and and it's kind of billed as like you know this is an industry showcase and every artist can you know like uh famously in la one of the what i should say one of the most well-known showcases here in la it's been going on the longest uh is called school night um and it is uh you know start it was started 
gosh, maybe 10, 15 years ago by Chris Doritas um, of KCRW and uh, a few others. And um, it's essentially, it's been free for the most part, but you have to RSVP, but the artist guest list is like endless. And it's kind of this like, it's a night that you know, it's a hang and it's like that showcase and, and um, you know, uh, other showcases that happen like at the Hotel Cafe or other venues in LA. It's kind of like, okay, yes, it's $10 to get in, but it's a showcase. And so it's like the artist guest list, whereas like a normal show would be capped at like 15 or 20 max. They're like, you, the entire room is guest listed wow. and it's just like that that's kind of <laughs> how it works here i'm just curious if it's like that's what a showcase means out there too. well here in nashville well especially at brooklyn bowl yeah. our industry list and the yeah. guest list is usually endless um because the industry oh, okay. i mean it's everyone's in the industry because you're an industry town everyone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. so it's really hard to cap shows i think 150 might be our, our cap as far as the artist list okay. goes <laughs> um and and showcases sure. aren't any different here either so yeah we definitely okay. will definitely have a lot of people out from agencies or or other venues or whatnot mm-hmm. gotcha um, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, cool. Uh, what is kind of the, uh, now that you're, I guess, two years, just two and a half years into, um, this, uh, venture, I guess, with, with Brooklyn Bowl and, and, uh, how's it going and, and where do you see it moving in the future? And is this something that is now going to be a staple of, of the Nashville live music scene? It's going well, I think. We, uh, we are a cool venue in town. We are. And I, and I do, it's real, like I said earlier, it's really important that we do our best to take care of the artists that come in here. We try to be super hospitable to every single person and really, really, really take care of our guests and artists. Um, so we really want to stand out as far as that goes. Um, it's, just it's been going well too and i think that we are developing a reputation or have developed a reputation for a place that takes care of the artist and patrons um and the community but i just want to keep that going and i would like to do more local shows when we can we Mm. just want to it's i think we're in a good place and just to keep that momentum is is really all all my i want to do as far as great what do you mean by take care of the artist what does what does that mean we have the nicest and most professional production crew ever i promise um and i know everyone says that but it's it's (laughs) really really important that uh anything that they could possibly want they they're gonna get and and then we're gonna kill them with kindness you know and and be super Nice. nice while we're doing it that's great to hear. That is uh, not super common at music <laughs> venues uh, across the board, especially on the, the uh, tech side. Uh, no offense to the front of house engineers listening, but my God, I don't know why the chips always land so dramatically on their shoulders uh, that they hold us uh, for like endlessly. I, I can't tell you how many sound engineers, front of house engineers I've personally had to deal with that have just had a massive chip and it seemed to try to make the artist life a living hell 
people uh, through the through the evening uh, from the moment they step foot into the venue. So it's nice to hear that that kindness is prioritized there a little bit, and that that you know you're making sure that 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 ethos um, is kind of instilled in all the staff members. Um, that's that's nice to hear. Then I'm sure that's that's very appreciated by the artists because that's that's not. In my experience, super common. So that's great. <laughs> Thanks. Nice. Um, tell me a little bit about the uh, the Nashville music scene. You've mentioned kind of the local artists a few times. For for someone that's not from Nashville and doesn't really understand how Nashville works, uh, from your perspective, what is what does that mean? Nashville local artists, the Nashville music scene. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not just country music. Uh, we definitely have a lot okay. of a lot of rock, a lot of uh, indie rock. A lot of uh, hip hop is is up and coming too, um, and mm. it's that's one thing that I think is the most misunderstood if you're not from Nashville because you you really think that it's all country and new country, um, right. and that's just not the case at all. It everyone, however, plays music like everyone is in a band at least three <laughs> or four and uh, are trying to yeah. play somewhere, you know, every night of the week. And when they're not playing yeah. out, they're coming to shows to support their their friends who are in bands, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's great. It's a little little community that um, and it's wonderful. And I don't want to live anywhere else. That's great. Um, I'm curious what you consider. Um, a local artist of Nashville um, versus a an artist who lives in Nashville and is uh, not considered a local artist. Hmm. That is a tough distinction too, because I know I would consider. <laughs> I know a lot of people that do tour and they're very successful, and you know they're they're blowing up on Spotify and and everything else, but. Um, Hmm. I, I, I don't know what the difference is. I mean, okay. I don't know. They're in Nashville, so I guess they're local to me. Yeah, I guess <laughs> if they're touring arenas and they live in Nashville, they're still a local Nashville artist, uh, right? Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Either. Okay, cool. <laughs> Interesting. Um, all right. Nice. Um, well, yeah, so, um, you know, of the artists that come through, I, I'm glad you made the clarification that it's not local. <laughs> Nashville is not just all country, um, because I yes, I do think that is the misconception. Um, do you would you say that Brooklyn Bowl books uh, a higher proportion of uh, non-country or country, or 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 is it just like pretty pretty it's, standard? It's you know all over the place, but I would we book yeah. a lot of indie bands, a lot. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that there's yeah. any sort of formula that the art bookers are following. It's just how it turns out. That's just the way it is. And especially at the cap, sure. like, like a 1200 cap room, this size, you know, a lot of the, the bands that they're booking just happen to be indie artists. Um, but no, yeah. we, we do everything from, I mean, we do everything, all of it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Nice. Um, well, Renna, so so what's on the horizon? What do you what do you got coming up, and what are you most excited about uh, in the Brooklyn Bowl Nashville world? In just a few weeks, we have Bone Thugs and Harmony. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, cool, that'd be great. <laughs> Two Nights of Dog Star, awesome. which is uh, Keanu Reeves' band. 
Um, and that one okay, is, fun. yeah, we're already getting fan mail for that, even though we've asked people not to send it to us. Um, it's, oh my gosh. Yes. A lot. <laughs> um, but wait, literally like ma- like fan mail, like physical mail mm-hmm. is being sent to the venue for Keanu. Yes. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't realize that was a thing. Okay. Jeez. Um, they're excited. <laughs> they're so excited to come. That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, we've got some great stuff coming in the calendar so yeah cool awesome well sarah thank you for taking the time to to chat with me um i have one final question that i ask everyone who comes on the show and that is what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? oh my gosh it uh i'm just super excited to to be a part of the music community and 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 be lucky enough to to be around it every day and i'm i'm stoked and i just want to want to keep doing it as long as I can. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much. It's great. Thanks, Ari. Today's episode was edited by Mikey Evans with music by Brassroots District and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. Episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com